Blog Talk Radio. I am Bridget Foley, and I am the author of Hugo and Rose, and today I have my friend and uh, fellow author, Ted Kosmatka. Oh my God, did I say it right? You did, you did. I did, I said it right, yay! Uh, I should have practiced, and I didn't, um, joining me today, and uh, his new book, uh, The Flickerman, is coming out in July, and I've gotten a chance to read it, and um, I love it, uh, and it's gotten all sorts of praise, and people are very, very excited about it, um, and uh, I asked particularly to get to talk to Ted because um, uh, because I feel like even though Ted has written this um, wonderful speculative fiction uh, that's very um, sciencey, that it has this really kind of cool junction where uh, uh, it where it kind of meets up with with Hugo and Rose. I know that that sounds strange. So, Ted, do you want to do you want to say a little bit about yourself? I guess. Oh, sure. So, my name is uh, Ted Kuznacka, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm a, a fiction writer. Uh, I've been writing short stories um, basically my whole life, and I finally started uh, writing novels about uh, five or six years ago. And um, um, I've also worked in uh, the video game industry as a as a writer for video games. Um, uh, my new novel, like you said, my new novel is The Flickerman, comes out in July. And I'm very interested in your thoughts on the, uh, the intersection between Hugo and Rose and The Flickerman because I actually, uh, the, the thing that I was most fascinated by in your book is this idea that there are sort of two worlds that are overlapping each other. And I think uh-huh. that does have a little bit of an intersection with, you know, what's going on with The, the Flickerman, which is sort of this quantum mechanics, physics, thriller. So, and it is sort of, it does sort of explore the idea of how maybe the world that we see is not the only world that there is. Oh my gosh, absolutely. No, I, that that was my my feeling. Um, this kind of, I think, uh, this kind of parallel, the whole idea of a parallel a parallel lives, which um, uh, the Flickerman has, and that's that comes later. But um, in particular. Uh, and you you have found um just such a wonderful way and this is something that i uh i love as a writer and as a reader um of incorporating um science into your in into your writing and um i don't know it it is uh, uh in into your prose and i have to say the um I don't know. As a reader, I'm flipping pages and uh, turning a page, and and uh, the uh, at least in in, in the Flickerman, the science uh, does not get into the way of uh, of the fiction. It actually just enhances it. And I'm trying to. Uh, I I know that I would turn the page and I would see that you would need um, a graph to explain or an image to explain what what exactly was happening. <laughs> yeah, I actually had to, the publisher made me draw those out too myself, and I kept telling them, "I'm not an artist; I cannot do this." But um, <laughs> the, the, the visual aids, I think, uh, I I don't know if the book would have even worked without the visual aids because um, you know being able to draw out a graph or to to draw out like a little sort of visual description of what's going on. It's just, it's such shorthand and it, I'm able to sort of plug those in here and there at, 
you know, in, in a place that I otherwise would have had to have done, you know, like, you know, a 1500 word description of, of what exactly is happening. So being able to do that really definitely helps. But well, yeah, you was, would need, was, well, you would ahead. absolutely, my, my, you would have to link and you would have to link to, to science articles online. I mean, I, <laughs> right, you, exactly. I love that it's, I reached the end of a fiction book and it has a bibliography. Uh, um. Yes, <laughs> it's, 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 I, you know, I definitely wanted to give credit to the real scientists who actually came up with, you know, the real science. I, I feel like the science was sort of furniture that I was able to move around and construct my my story out of. And so I definitely want to give credit to the, the hardworking scientists who are out there, you know, actually doing the hard work that, you know, make, creating the science that I was able to play with and construct this story out of. So See, See, for me, so the research that I did for Hugo and Rose was mainly um, focused on neuroscience and trying to figure out um, exactly what, uh, where, uh, where something like shared dreaming uh, could not take place, but what, what it would look like and what the, um, and so the way that I managed to incorporate that was I, uh, I wrote an extra hundred pages of the book that ended up getting cut that explained, oh, um, the, yes, that, that explained all these, uh, um, explained different neurological processes, what happens when you get in your car and, uh, and then suddenly you're pulling into a place and you realize that you haven't been paying attention at all or um, what um, the, uh, the difference between uh, exactly what the process of the prefrontal cortex is. And that ended up um, when I had to do a rewrite and uh, was advised by my agent that I needed to take that all out. Um, I, she said, incorporate the science in, into into the prose of the story, and so um, I got to have you know some so a lot of fun with talking about um, brain scans and uh, telomeres and uh, things uh, where I think that the there's there's an actual poetry to um, there's a poetry to the way the the science. Um, uh, the way the, the neuroscience, the way the brain operates and the way scientists have kind of found that. And so that was why I had to, um, that's why I had to, to have a, a sciencey guy. I had to have a, uh, the, the uh, protagonist's husband is a, is a doctor so that somehow this could be introduced into the, uh, uh, the character's way of thinking uh, so that she had the um, vocabulary for it, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely, and you definitely did, you know, a masterful job at that. Um, yeah, the, oh, that is that, that is always the, the challenge, you know, how to how to if you have a, if you if you are writing a story that in order to understand what is going on, you have to have sort of uh, a base background knowledge of you know the science side of it. Then it's always you know from the author's perspective, it's always a challenge. How do I communicate this science to the reader in a right. way where they're not going to feel like they just opened up a science book and they're just going to you know shut the book and run away as fast as possible. So it's like, right. And it, it, it's sort of, uh, the old, they call that the, the info dump, the art of the info dump, the art of being oh, able gosh, to yeah. this, this science. And, and I thought the way you did it was, was beautiful. I mean, it definitely didn't interrupt the flow of the the narrative at all. I mean, it was just sort of seamlessly woven in. I, th- I thought it was just masterful, actually. Yeah. I Well, thank you. I You know, it's funny. Um, so 
how uh, do you, okay, so I'm, this is how you think about yourself, I guess I'm, the question that I want is, um, do you consider yourself, uh, like what kind of writer, and I, I would say for myself, I don't consider myself a writer of women's fiction, right? Or, okay. uh, uh, and, or a genre. I don't think about when I, when I come up with ideas, I don't think about what shelf in the bookstore my book would go on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the same thing with the uh, same experience that I've had with the, the Flickr men where it, um, it feels like sci-fi and it feels like, um, like a thriller and it feels like, but there's not, I wouldn't know. Um, I actually, I don't even know this. What is it? I mean, what shelf does it go on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think it just goes. I'm a, I, I guess we'll see when it comes out. Or it, but, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, honestly really not sure. I think it's just uh, it would go with the other wherever the other thrillers end up on on the shelf. Um, I, I years ago, um, when I, after my after my second book came out, um, there was someone who, who said something that sort of stuck in my head. But they said that um, uh, some writers write um, space opera. And that I, they, they read a bunch of my short stories and read two of my novels, and they said that I wrote lab opera. And I just it stuck <laughs> in my head as like, some person, like, oh, that's, that's what I read. I read lab opera. Most of oh, my, my gosh. Most, yeah, most of my, uh, most of my stories, they just take place in labs or in and around labs. And uh, they always sort of deal with they're usually near future or sort of like the now, but with, you know, one little detail change. Um, uh so it's uh okay, I lost the train of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think that's fine. I um okay. yeah, for me I uh I had this you know, hi I'm I'm gonna say hybrids because it's just as funny because of some of the other books that you've read uh, written. Um that uh I that personally for me having written this this strange um this uh book about a um a mother who is uh who has these very strange kind of um 1950s movie uh b b movie dreams um but is uh you know is very um has a lot of suburban house, housewife on we and then kind of morphs into a thriller where um i go well i don't when people will say well what what's your book like and i'll go oh I don't. I don't <laughs> quite know. I don't know what my book is like. Um, oh, yeah, what, what, what shelf do you think your book goes on? Oh gosh. Um, well, uh, I I think right now that uh, I don't know. I would I would have said that my book was um, fantasy, but I don't think that it delivers what um, what people uh, what what uh i think it it it's uh it takes a big chunk from uh from literary fiction i think it takes a big chunk from fantasy um which was uh fantasy and sci-fi which is what i cut my not as a writer but as a reader cut my teeth on um and uh and i think that that it and that uh so there's this strange and then it's got this cover that says you know it says mommies read it you know, it really does appeal to women. Um, it, it says that the women, and I think I'm finding that readership. I think people are, are people are finding the book. 
But uh, there definitely there have been some surprised people who've said, "Oh, this isn't what I was expecting." <laughs> Which well, that's um, always nice when you can surprise people. It is. I like surprising people. Okay, so we talked about. Uh, I mentioned uh, the kind of books that, and I just I love hearing stuff like this. What was the What was the book that you remember that made you as it, that remember reading that made you like a writer? What were your favorite books when you were growing up? I remember the exact the exact moment that, that changed my life. Um, so I was in. Um, it was the summer between second and third grade, and I actually I was uh, I was definitely uh, an ADHD kid, just really really hyper, really you know I never really uh, you know at that early age I was not into school at all. I was sort of always in trouble. I was uh, definitely <clears throat> definitely a handful. Uh, but in the summer between second and third grade, um, I caught spinal meningitis. So oh, I ended up almost dying. So I spent, uh, you know, quite a lot of time in the hospital. And I remember, uh, and parts of parts of my time in the hospital are just totally gone to me. I don't even remember them. But other parts I can remember very clearly. But when I started slowly recovering and sort of coming back to myself in the hospital, I remember I was in this white room, and it had a TV that was hanging from the ceiling, but the TV was broken. And so there I was, this sort of hyper you know, 10-year-old kid just, I'm used to running around, used to riding my bike, used to, and, I'm, and I'm just trapped in this hospital bed, and my mom just felt so so bad for me, and uh, so she brought me a book, and the only book, she went to the uh, hospital uh, bookstore, and they didn't have any kids' books, the only thing she could, she could find that I might remotely be interested in was a science fiction book, and it was called uh, A Planet Called Treason by Orson Scott Card. Oh, and, wow, yeah. And, and, oh, you know that book? No, well, I, I mean, it, I'm, I'm, I'm an Orson Scott Card fan. fan. Oh, okay. that's so yeah, that's what it's like one of his rare ones. One of his, it might even be his first book. I, I'm not really sure, but it's, it's, um, it, that's one that a lot of people, yeah, are aren't aware of or don't know about. But uh, my mom brought that up to me, and at the time, I, I wouldn't even say that I could really read that well. I mean, I definitely wasn't like this, you know, super early reader or anything like that. But I, I, and it was a, you know, written for an adult, but I. I started reading it, and it was, and I remember having this moment of, you know, where have you been all my life? It's like <laughs> I, I thought, I thought this is what books are like. You know, I was so used to like these school books I'd be given; they were so boring. But this was a book that was full of, you know, fighting and warfare and all these ideas and all this craziness, and it was on another planet, and and it just it absolutely totally changed my life. So after I got out of the hospital, and you know, once I could, you know, ride my bike again and run around and be a normal kid again. You know, I was changed. I was. I wanted to keep reading, and so then it was just one book after another after another, and I just read voraciously after that, and it really just changed everything. And then I, you know, as a grade school, I started writing my own stories. And but yeah, so it was really, it was really that Orson Scott Card book that uh, sort of opened my eyes to the idea of you know writing. Uh, what oh you? wow. Um, well, I have to say that. Um, I had a dad who read uh, sci-fi and fantasy, and so it was in the house. And for me, what I uh, I, I, I call them uh, the metal metal bra books, where it would be oh, like a woman on a polar bear, and she's wearing a metal bra, and she's got a sword, and um, 
then I was I was attracted to the covers, which, you know, now you kind of you go, I would read the book and there would be no metal bra. No one was ever wearing a metal bra in any of these books. Um, but what I liked about um, fantasy books and um, not sci fi, but I'm about to talk about what sci fi did for me because I'm a um, I'm a Heinlein fan and um, and uh, the Foundation series. And I have like uh, I've got my geek cred, um, <laughs> which I will always claim. Uh, I, uh, what, what appealed to me was that it was a place where I could read as a girl, female protagonists that were kick ass, um, that had, that had swords that, um, that were, you know, in the bars and like doing really tough stuff that I wasn't getting from, you know, the American girl stories or, um, which, you know, are still, uh, still being read, um, and that there was this um, kind of, and my dad encouraged it. In fact, of of there's there's my parents had five children, and of us, the sci-fi and um, fantasy readers were um, were the girls that we, um, my sister and I, are the ones who um, who like to read, uh, and still like to read this. Uh, um, uh, that kind of thing, and I think that's probably where um, this uh, the character in, in my book, Hugo and Rose, where the character of Rose, she uh, she is this dichotomy between um, you know this this person who is who is on one hand li- living this you know fantastical fantastical life um, where she's on an island and fighting giant monsters and uh, and then at the same time she's um, you know she has a very mundane life and I think that probably is um, somewhere between like for myself what it what that that bridge between what you're what you're a fan of and what your uh, what your uh, what your actual life is like that weird I've never put that together before <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> One question uh, that, that popped in my head reading your book, I, and I wanted to ask you this, and I can't believe I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But um, I, I was curious. I'm always curious about like what aspects of a of a writer's real life ends up sort of sliding into the book. And I was curious if you had a. I, I don't think I'm giving anything away. It's, okay. It's not. It's, it's important. If it is, just delete it. But um, uh, did you uh, you know fall on your bicycle as a kid and hit your head? I didn't. I didn't do anything okay. like that. No, I didn't. There, there was no. Um, it's just funny because uh, I guess as a writer, um, I, at least right now at this point in my life, I am really intrigued with the way um, people deal with the consequences of trauma and um with the uh with the mental consequences of trauma right now even the 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 book that i'm working on right now which i'm trying not to talk about but even that kind of um it talks about where um what what the how people continue to live their lives after something has happened to them and so i've kind of recognized that that um uh that that um that that's where i think that um came from i needed uh uh where thinking of this whole um construct as being um uh oh gosh how do i do this a, a way of uh a crutch in a way like what um uh what 
a crutch at a certain point, and this is, I'm going to talk about this obliquely because I don't want to ruin the story if nobody's read it, um, sure. that uh, a crutch is useful until you've healed, and then if you continue to use the crutch, um, it actually hinders you and, be- and can become a... Um, and can become a handicap, a permanent handicap. Oh. And that um, that in Hugo and Rose, um, that ultimately um, is what um, the dreams become to these two characters because it was supposed to help them at a certain point in their life and then uh, they were held on to and not let go of um, and then has actually um, hindered their growth as people. Um, and when we meet Rose, her depression is a result of not having been able to move on um, uh-huh. from uh, from what the dreams were supposed to um, help with. So, oh my goodness, that's got very serious. <laughs> I got very writerly. Sounding good. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, because I'm fascinated okay. by this, okay. what is the... the um, how is it different to write a video game versus writing a novel? Oh, writing a novel is so much harder. It's so much harder. With a video game, game, you're surrounded by just geniuses around you everywhere. It's like, um, you know, it's like, you know, you're on some sort of all-star team or something. uh, My experience working at Valve, I I was just constantly impressed and amazed by my coworkers. And so you have all these really smart people that are all working towards the same goal and they all have, you know, the same endpoint in mind and everybody sort of can depend on, on, you know, their coworkers and everybody depends on everybody else and everybody helps out. And so it's really, it's a very uh, creative environment where you're constantly, you know, coming up with ideas and pushing ideas and then other people push ideas. And so it's never a question of, um, you know, finding something that's good or trying to develop something that's good is more or less trying to find the thing that of the of the many choices of of the many good possibilities which one is best. And so you right. have to winnow down and, and and get rid of a lot of ideas and sort of cut away certain things. But you never you never are it doesn't seem like you're ever just facing an empty computer screen that's you know, that's white and it's blank and it's like it's your job to fill this, you know, with something that's going to be worth reading you know, just by itself, you know, in a video game, and you know, there's all this beautiful art and there's all this backstory that's already there. And uh, it's just, yeah. So it's, it's just a completely different environment. And in, the, and in the video game world, you know, you're constantly going to meetings and constantly, you know, going to creative meetings and talking. And so it's just turning energy that's always happening. And so it's the exact opposite of when you're trying to write a novel and you're just sitting there and you're, and you're sort of bleed into the keyboard <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're very, they're very, very different. And what's nice, the nice thing about, you know, doing both at the same time is they don't tend to steal energy from each other. So I would, you know, I could work all day, you know, writing video games and then come home at night and I wouldn't feel like I had used that part of my brain that I needed for the novel writing. It was just, it was just two completely different kinds of, or different styles of being creative. So um, oh, wow. it, it totally lends itself to being able to do both at the same time. I, hmm. I heard before that um, some people who tried to be like newspaper reporters, uh, who tried to also you know be fiction writers, that that apparently does sort of steal energy. So it was like after writing articles and stuff all day for a newspaper, to try to come home and then write fiction is apparently really hard. But with, with video games, I mean, video games just a lot of dialogue. It's all really fast. 
And so it's just it's just a different kind of writing. Yeah, I have friends who work on television shows and uh, have also written fiction, and it's 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 very. They have told me, um, and I've witnessed firsthand that it can be very um, that for them. it's it, it can it can it slows down their fiction. Um, oh really? So, well, no, just uh, the, because I think it's uh, uh, they uh, you you know you, uh, you the muscle gets stronger is the one that you work right. So, <laughs> sure, um, sure. so you know I think uh, and I think what's very admirable about what you've done with with. Just with creating a a novel writing career in addition to your uh, career as a video game writer um, is that uh, you have not uh, become dependent upon that uh, the energy that uh, you get from that you can sit down and and be and have the lonely experience that it is to write a novel and be okay with it. Um, because I think some people, they go, well, usually when I sit down to write, I ha- I'm in a room and I've got 10 other people in here and we're all being funny and we can go get coffee. And um, it's uh, writing a novel is a very lonely pursuit. Yes, very, very, yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with that 100%. That, um, there's something about yeah, staring at that screen. It is You have to sort of... You have to sort of like it. You have to sort of like that loneliness, or sort of be willing to sort of dive into it. Otherwise, otherwise, the prospect of writing, you know, a hundred thousand words just becomes completely insane. I mean, like, who would do it? <laughs> see, I, um, I have to say, like, I, um, I guess, I don't feel lonely when I write. Like, I, so I outline. So I do okay. all the. So, and do do you outline? Um. Yes. A yes, little bit. I, yes. I have to. I didn't. I didn't used to think I had to, and now I realize I have to. Otherwise, okay. Otherwise, I end up re- writing the novel three times. So it's just right. better to outline. So what? What I I what I realize is that when I'm really feeling it, when I'm really working, I don't feel like like I've spent the the day alone or the you know the evening alone. I feel like I've spent I've spent that time with people who I like or I like for their humanness or that um that it and the 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 lonely part comes in the beginning when I when I'm writing out okay a and then b and then c uh, you know the the turn of events and doing all that kind of work where I want to go and I'm lucky because my husband's a writer so I can go knock on the door and say hey can you help me with this um the, the the loneliest part is when I try to figure that stuff out, and then when I finally get to write it, uh, I I feel like I've I've gotten to spend the day with with a bunch of friends. Um, I don't know what that says. <laughs> I, I I know that uh, that I is spending a lot of time in my head. I I get told by my son, um, I miss I miss a lot of turns. That's what I'll say when I'm driving. <laughs> Like okay. I, I'll get my son. will say he's like, "Mom, are we not going home because we just tro- drove past the house?" <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, yes, that's, and whether that's the writer's that's, brain. Yes, <laughs> yes writer's brain. Well, it looks like uh, time's running out on this, so uh, I just want to say thank you again for having me uh, on board to do this. It's been a lot of fun. It's been great talking to Bridget. Um, once again, my book is called The Flicker Men. It's a 
quantum mechanics thought experiment uh, thriller novel coming out uh, mid July. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> and I have to say thank you. Yeah, thank you for Ted. Thanks for talking to me. And uh, my book, I'm Bridget Foley, and my book uh, Hugo and Rose is in stores right now.